In this episode of the Skift Ideas podcast, we're joined by Ho Ren Young, head of brand HQ at Banyan Tree Holdings. Listen as we unravel the secrets behind crafting spaces and experiences that blend luxury, sustainability, and well-being to create new guest experiences. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Skift Ideas podcast. Thanks for tuning in. For today's episode, we're joined by Ho Ren Young, head of Brand HQ at Banyan Tree Holdings. Banyan Tree Group is one of the world's leading independent, multi-branded hospitality groups centered on the purpose-driven mission of stewardship and well-being while offering exceptional design-led experiences. Ren leads Brand HQ and is responsible for brand, digital, and well-being across the group's multi-branded portfolio. She joined the group in 2009. An active member in the creative and social business landscape in Singapore and the region, Ren has co-founded two pioneering businesses in the co-working and e-commerce space, as well as the founding chapter of Asia's largest volunteer-run creative network. She's also a red dot for Pink Dot Business Leader and a founding member of the AVPN Gender Network, supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Ren, it's super nice to have you with us today. Nice to be back, Colin. I'm very excited about our convo. Cool. So I wanted to start off, um, we'll get into the background and, and your history with the brand, but I'm really excited about two of the properties that have been kind of putting off a lot of heat into culture and the conversation. One is your property that just opened in Alula in Saudi Arabia. The second one is your property that opened in Bali. And I just wanted to talk about these because it seems to me that they break some of the rules or they, they're doing something different intentionally from potentially where your brand has been in the past. So I wanted to explain and unpack these a little bit. Before we go into that, I want to ask and flip it back to you, Colin, on why do you see that these properties are breaking the rules of what we do? Um, I'm interested because for me, I see it as a kind of return to founding values and the core essence of the brand. So I'd love to hear from your perspective on like how it's it's counter to where you see the brand. With the Bali property, it just seemed very experimental, you know, no, no walls, very free flowing. And I think from an architecture standpoint, I think Alula really stands out and is almost an exemplary version of, I think, what a lot of people are doing in the, in the race to um, stand out in the, in the Saudi ecosystem, in, in luxury in Saudi. So I think architecturally mm. for Saudi and then also just from an experimentation standpoint, it feels like you're pushing a little bit of what the brand can do in Bali. So that's that's my take, but you know these much better than I do. So I would love to hear from, from you. Thank you. It is kind of true. It's it's I would say that um these two properties definitely are a departure from um some of the more I would say maybe called conventional resorts that we've had in the last few years. The brand is 30 years old, next year actually. Um so they do seem uh different in that regard. The reason I say that it feels like a return to the roots is because we started with these kind of intimate properties that blended into the landscapes, right? Um, 
you know, small, intimate, architecturally, um, very, you know, nature-based in that sense. And from a destination's point of view, I mean, when you have the Asha Valley in El Ula and Bohan in Bali, doing the work to make sure those stories and the sense of place comes out in every part of the experience is absolutely part of um, how we first started. I think it's what's changed perhaps or what feels different is the the recommitment and the intensity with which we've gone into that in, in these properties. And that's a lot of that is also because of the extraordinary nature of the, the locations. For Bohan and Bali, um, I think the reason it, it has also flourished so much is because we actually had the time of the pandemic to take the that space to craft out every single small detail and be experimental. So we gave ourselves the ability to break out of the boundaries. And because it was a brand extension, um, we were we had the mindset of rewriting the playbook, which was really enjoyable. For Al Ula, given it's a desert environment, um, I think it's our second desert environment after um, quite a while, actually, over the last 10 years. That different landscape also gave us um, a different playbook, which was very um, liberating as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me to observe because I think what we've been seeing with a lot of luxury brands with this desire to scale is a lot of things are getting stamped out like razor blades, right? And I, and what stood out to me is is it was a statement of intent to kind of break the mold, to kind of experiment and push the envelope a little bit. So it, that it just stood out to me as um, progressive. And it's interesting that you say that the pandemic actually helped a little bit because did that help you to kind of focus and dial things in from a service and detail standpoint before it was showtime? Yeah. I think um, the pandemic was definitely one where we had you know, usually property opens uh, nine months, uh, new build is in X years, you know, depending on the property. But um, for Bohan, we had that time to go into every minute aspect of it. I think another part of growing, right, there's two ways to, to approach growth. Um, you can establish a cookie cutter approach or you can embrace the diversity of the different locations and uh, make that a strength. So, for example, one thing that's happening next year is opening of Banyan Tree Kyoto. Kyoto, again, is like it's going to be like El Ula and Bohan, where the destination itself has such incredible stories. But to take the time to um, sieve that out, listen to you know, what is unique there, work with people um, and translate our you know, brand standards and brand books to something that is... Um, relevant to Japan, that work needs to be done now. We can't just come in and put across a specific approach. What's exciting to me is particularly with a market like Kyoto is, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? You're, you're going in there, you have Amon, you have a very, very nice Park Hyatt Kyoto yep. property. You know, even the ace there uh, that Kenya Kuma did just absolutely phenomenal. And so what's what's interesting to me about the state of luxury hospitality and also innovation in luxury hospitality 
is this kind of healthy competition, right? It, it, it makes people kind of dig a little bit deeper and, and, and sharpen the, the value proposition, but also to your point, make them unique to the place and, and feel reflective of the environment. Because we're an audio podcast and I can't, you can't see beautiful photos of Bali, tell me the vibe that someone experiences when they actually are pulling up into that property like and they and they get into their room like what are they feeling and what are they seeing wow all right so for bohan when you first arrive and you come onto the arrival pavilion you've driven maybe about 2 hours from the airport so you're wondering is this really worth it this is really far <laughs> is it worth it to come this far for an escape but as you step out of the car and arrive on the arrival pavilion you look out into the distance and you see a sea of green it's a jungle, lush, um, a sanctuary in itself. You don't see any other buildings. You see seven peaks on the horizon, seven mountains, that uh, in some way seem like a, a painting, but actually they're, they're just shadows in the distance. You then walk um, through an organic farm, and because everything is so quiet around you, um, you smell... You hear your senses become heightened and the crunching of like your feet as you walk down the path um, suddenly becomes uh, something that you'll remember continually because everywhere in the property, there is this particular sound of the path when you walk. Um, when you go into your room, I think you'll feel, oh, wow, no matter where I'm, it will literally hit you that there are no walls in this room. And while you've known that because, you know, you were told several times before booking and on the website that this is a no walls, no doors, when you actually arrive there and you're in a ballet or a villa that is on a cliff and recognize that there are no walls here and the wind passes through, when it rains, it comes through, you see fireflies at night, you feel a little excited and a little bit like of a heightened sense of where you are you feel very involved you feel immersed there might be for some a little tinge of apprehension but then as night falls and you see the the lights around you dim you somehow feel safe because you feel part of that surroundings in the middle of the night you might wake up and see fireflies come into your bedroom in the morning what wakes you up is just the lightening of the sky at, at six um, and you might see clouds that pass in front of your room because we are at a higher altitude and it's cool. I mean, this is exactly, you, you painted a very nice picture. And I think what's, what's interesting too is this notion that guests kind of want to break that sort of membrane. They want to break the concrete. They want to break um, the thing that is, preventing them from actually feeling. And it's something that, you know, we've come to understand with the power of like the canvas tent on Safari. But what's interesting is from a design standpoint, we're, we're able to push that further um, where in this case, the walls have been broken down and the environment is kind of one with your living space. And so, you know, it's, it's the new, it's a new type of luxury that you're at, the framing of everything and the sensory elements are actually 
as important as everything else. Um, so I feel like there's a nice poetry to what you're trying to do there. I think importantly also, there's a cert, there's like this nuance around a certain level of discomfort or unexpectedness. Maybe discomfort is not the right word, but unexpectedness that we want to bring the guest into or invite the guest into to bring them into that other state of being or new way of perceiving or something that is truly different. Especially if we're talking about in this realm of uh, luxury travel, there is so much out there that um, more and more and more is not always better. And for the places of Aula and for Bohan, it's definitely not a um, experience of excess, right? Of having the most and the max. So, you know, being able to, we had so many discussions around uh, trading off expected luxury comfort for um, an experience that might otherwise not be received well. Like, for example, blackout. You know, I talk about being woken up at 6 a.m. in the morning. You know, there was a lot of discussions around if you have no walls, do we want to provide for that comfort? Um, and I think being able to be bold enough to make certain decisions and why is also what makes truly uh, certain experiences stand out. And I think strong brands kind of like lead their clientele. I like what you said about there is a little bit of apprehension, right? It's interesting because, you know, if you think about fine dining, the first time I, I, I spent time at, at Noma, there was a lot of things that kind of like made me slightly feel weird. You know, there, yeah. was, there was moments of apprehension and that was actually part of the thing because you were being pushed. And I think that that's actually quite... Um, quite a powerful thing. And also, to be perfectly honest, many of the guests that are going there, they kind of know what they're getting into, right? It's the same thing for for Saudi. You have, you know, so to see the, the stars under a desert sky in a context like that, it's a pretty rare experience. And so the framing of that is kind of the art as much as the FF&E and the build-out. Right. I want to bring in also the people because every experience is around the energetics of that experience, right? So like what you talk about, seeing the stars under a desert sky, how you are brought into that, if it's, and, and the, the energy and the presence of the people that are bringing you there or inviting you there is, is fundamentally important as well, right? Whether you're ferried into a car and just like, you know, um, being shown the sky versus, if you are told about the history of this location, you the person that is sharing with this you feels intimately connected to the land. And one of the feedbacks that we often get, especially in, in Bohan as well, is that the people that you're surrounded by feel like an extension of a community and that place. And I think that um, as a traveler or as a person, when you're entering that feeling that um, connection is a fundamental part of the experience. It's not just the provision of that, the availability of it, or the design of the, the property. And I think that comes back to culture, comes back to hiring, comes back to what the team is like on property. I like it because, you know, the Balinese hospitality and the nuance of it 
is is part of the is part of the experience as as would be the sort of Saudi hospitality and the and the and the ingrained hospitality and a lot of that sort of operating system culturally. Um, parlaying this into into talking about people and talking about culture, you know, when I ask you, it's one of the big things you think about is how to build a cohesive culture of service, but also, you know, ensure that your teams are well looked after and well treated. So very simple question, but a difficult one. How do you build culture? Wow. This is, uh, yes, like you said, simple but hard. Um, the simple part is having consistent values that are truly believed. Starting with that. And I think then articulating those values repeatedly um, across a multiple people, across multiple scenarios, and then acting it out. Um, I think like when we last time we talked and we talked about culture, I said that we were at a kind of inflection point because um, when we started, we started small and then culture can be transmitted through interaction, through people, through um, conversations and organically. Now, as we're growing, that culture is, is the hardest thing to scale in that sense. So then it's going back to, I think, identifying and making sure that you have culture ambassadors that will um, share the same message and behave in ways that you espouse um, at the leadership level, but also at the frontline level. It comes down to concrete things that I think have 80-20 impact. Um, so on property, it would be things like with, like I shared before around, okay, if we are a brand about well-being, then that's something that we also want to share with our associates. Um, and we focus and demonstrate a lot of that because uh, an inside-out approach is key. I think the strongest thing about culture is that it's uh, what you communicate externally must be the same as what you communicate internally. And what you place value on externally has to be similar in how you, uh, what it seems like you place value on internally as well. Otherwise, there's an, there will be uh, a gap and a disillusion between what you say and what you do. And I think closing that gap as you grow is the most fundamental, important thing. So, yeah, I'll just take a pause there as you. Yeah, it's a great point because I think there's there's the, the sort of oral history or like the culture carrying that starts when you're small, right? And I like what you said, when you scale, obviously you need to have the SOPs and the frameworks and the things like that, but you have to identify the nodes, both at the GM level, but also at, at, at the frontline level of who are those culture carriers. And it's like the osmosis can happen from there, right? So it's, it, it, it's, it's thinking about this in an in a organic way. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Ren, is, is hotels are always talking about, you know, wellness. They're coming up with lots of different concepts. They're really playing into every 
iteration and variety of wellness. But obviously, the people that are facilitating these have their needs, the staff, mental well-being, sort of economic empowerment, um, you know, get social mobility or, or mobility at your job. How have you aligned what you do for the guest and what you do for the employee? And what does that mirroring look like? Um, our approach to well-being is a salutogenic one, meaning that, you know, I think that the wellness world goes through several trends and fads about um, different kinds of expertise and intervention. When I say salutogenic, I mean that we, we provide environments and um, our philosophy is around supporting what is naturally health supportive. So we have eight pillars of well-being across um, your traditional ones of movement, uh, mindfulness, nourishment, and so on, but also connection, learning and growth um, that are more, I think, about your connection to self, others, and nature. So with these eight pillars, um, which is a very specific approach, what we deliver to our guests and how we think about our products and services there and the consultations that we take them through is mirrored to how we evaluate our associates' um, well-being and the environments that they are in. So in practical terms, it means that the consultation that a guest goes through um, in terms of well-being and the associate well-being index and survey that we look at at a property level are mirrored on the same pillars. The nuance that is different, I think, is that, and I've had this question several times when, you know, people ask about, oh, but then how respond, like for a guest, you're delivering well-being as a, as a, as a service for an associate, like is well, is their well-being your responsibility or not? And and where does that lie? Um, the way we think about well-being and in our um, uh, survey that we send out to associates it's about the practices that um, individuals do on a daily basis or a regular basis that support their well-being. It's not a snapshot of how they feel uh, about their well-being at any point in time. So it's questions around like how connected do you feel? How, how uh, much opportunity do you feel you have for learning and growth? Um, what is your nutritional intake like and so on? So it's related to practice. And we look at how we can create environments that support that while they're at work with us in the workplace. Um, that being said, I think that um, the the area of like, you know, how much support um, we can give or should give versus and how much expectation there is and so on will is a, is a moving uh, kind of space of discussion, which I think is a healthy one as well. I think the whole associate and, company or brand relationship is evolving and will continue to evolve quite quite a lot in the next few years. This is a it's a great point and and I think the dialogue is where you can kind of find the balance, right? Because this is a this is a conversation in corporate America, right? You know, this is a conversation in big tech. It's like what is the role of this company? You know, what is to touchy feely and and what is it are we forgetting what we actually do i think in the hospitality world it's much more nuanced because 
you know, the well-being of the team directly affects the product. And, you know, I think that there's probably tools and education that you're giving guests that are also very applicable to um, to the team. And so it's like that empowerment, knowledge, education um, is, it's it's nice to see that someone's thinking about both sides of that trade because we've all felt it where there's luxury marketing and decadence and excess, but then you feel that the team's not happy and it diminishes the experience completely, you know? So this is something that I've been really interested in. You know, I, I loved what the former GM of Beverly Hills Hotel did at Mady. It's like the staff entrance, they made it as nice, you know, I mean, you can't make it as grand, but they made it as nice as the, the, the you know, the front entrance and, and the, the hospitality and the accoutrement in the morning was, was kind of to, to, to show that same um, alignment, which I, which I really appreciate. And it's, it's something that's very hard to crack, especially when some brands are just in it for the Excel spreadsheet, the PL, the real estate gains, right? They're not thinking about the soft, the soft diplomacy and the nuance uh, that makes this industry interesting and also special. Um, but I wanted to pivot out from the nuances of teams and and their well-being into a little bit more kind of corporate strategy. So zooming out, understanding, um, you know, the group, bonding group, and 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 how that is looking. Um, and you know, you guys are coming out with new brands, new iterations. So I just want to understand what um, what the all up vibe is with with the group at this point well next year is the 30th anniversary for bunyan tree our luxury brand but also bunyan group as you say which is our multi-branded kind of holding um umbrella brand our mothership brand as, as we call it a lot of people have asked you know like why why not just focus on bunyan tree and why are you uh, why what is the thought behind going across all these different brands we now have 12 brands um, we've had Angsana, Kasia, and Dawa since I think about 2015. Um, and the rest of the brands actually were born in the last three or four years. So the last four years uh, across the pandemic, we've grown about 40%, not just in portfolio, but in, in just footprint. And the reason behind that, I think that, you know, going wide in this way has given us the ability to, um, increase our footprint, but also just become more diverse. We appreciate the diversity of the destinations that we're in. And there's no way we would have been able to explore all these locations um, without these different brands and the opportunities that are coming up. There's now nine countries in which uh, we are multi-brand, which is very exciting for a lot of us. And coming back to the people part, for our associates, because we focus very much on internal mobility, talent development, and the the kind of um, opportunities that uh, we can provide. This is one of the most uh, exciting things for them as well, because, you know, last year, for example, um, I went to um, our Garia Kyoto property and uh, met someone, I met a chef there that was from Aula. 
and you know someone from Saudi working in Japan being part of the Bayan group family was uh, absolutely like exciting for him and I think that's one of the things that we also are excited about because you know the travel I mean everyone who is in travel loves and believes that travel has potential to make you know places and people better for us to be able to provide that for our associates is also exciting I like that point because um, I've been saying for a long time that the hospitality industry has to almost make a renewed case to the next generation of, of hoteliers. And when you have the scale, you have the potential mobility to create that global career, that's interesting, right? And, you know, I, I love that um, my friend James McBride met a chef that was with him on Kilimanjaro and he brought him to Nihi, you know, to, to work on Nihi and, and start building his career there. And then from Nihi, you have your choice of going to lots of other places. And so all of a sudden that life that might've probably stayed within Tanzania has, has, has built a pretty interesting global perspective and is probably much more interesting, you know, in, in the culinary fields. So I love this. And also, you know, AI is going to disrupt those first and second year analyst positions at Goldman Sachs faster than we, we know. But you guys are in the business of the human touch and um, experiences. And th these are things that actually are not going to be disrupted anytime soon. So there actually is a new case to be made for this as a very viable and future-proof profession. Yeah. So I think that's quite exciting. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be something that is, you know, like you said, it's 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 a kind of rebranding of the 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 gap here in a different way, right? This global career, this this portfolio career that you can build, right? As opposed to thinking about yourself being in this industry forever. I do agree with you that the industry needs a a, a rebranding from an employer point of view on what makes it attractive, because what people think about now is that. I need to work on special occasions and holidays as opposed to this like access to a world of experiences and a broadening of your horizons that you wouldn't otherwise get. Going back to your point around culture carriers um, and how we built culture in the group, identifying culture carriers and then and bringing them to different properties to ensure that there's that osmosis and cross fertilization is, is one of the key aspects. Um, that I think has been part of our success. And post-pandemic, um, meaning, well, now, and into next year, uh, we're focusing a lot on creating more of these in-person gatherings and interactions. I mean, you and I are talking on a, across the screen, but and for a lot of our trainings and, and being in 20, over 23 countries now, we do a lot through digital, but we're purposefully investing in like just gathering people across different locations in person. Because I think there's nothing that, that uh, replaces that in terms of culture. It's a, it's a great point. And what I wanted to ask you is on a great day, what are the things that you think represent the best parts of, you know, Banyan Tree culture service, right? We know Four Seasons is known for a certain thing. Aman is known for a certain thing. You know, there's lots of different um, interpretations 
of luxury. But on on your best day, how would you characterize you know what you're trying to do and how you're making a guest feel? Mm. That's a great question for Banyan Tree. Um. I'm going to take that to a, to a Banyan, Banyan group level because I think purposefully what we have instilled is a, a service culture across the group, across all the brands. And of course, there's a stacking of delivery around those service cultures based on the different brands. But we've purposefully built a Banyan group service culture of empathy, active listening uh, with the tag of I am with you across the different brands because we want to encourage that um, mobility uh, of associates across the brands and also the sense of the dignified level of service no matter the brand. It's not just about luxury or category and so on, but that aspect of um, service culture that exists no matter what brand expression or brand uh, category you're in. So on a good day, I think that service culture of I am with you is one where in the back of house, in the front of house, no matter where you are, um, you feel a sense of community. You feel a sense of belonging, no matter if you're a guest or an associate. And you are able to sense that um, connection to place, to community, but also discover something different about yourself um, and discover something about that location that you had not known before. And whether that's, and also through um, a very personalized aspect of storytelling from a very human point of view, you know that the person that you're interacting with is telling you a story from their life, from uh, something that they know from something that they're connected to and they're not just delivering a script or a rote response. They're interacting with you as a person um, with true authenticity. Which is interesting because it, it kind of goes against perhaps the more codified, you know, luxury standards of old, right? You know, in, in, in the sort of palace, the palaces of France and things like that. I also find it very interesting what you've said that you want to have continuity across brands, price points, et cetera, because I think that that is also another problem with some of like the large mega conglomerates is that in this category, you get turned down and they remember to do this. But in this category, at this price point, you just are asked for your license and, you know, your ID and whatever, you know, so it's like having, having a, thoughtful through line that unites various price points is interesting, you know, sometimes hard to do, but I love the aspiration. I think there's also a difference between what you said about service culture and service steps or service standards, right? So you can have a common service culture yeah. and across the different brands, then layer or stack on different service standards, depending on expectation, product facility category. But when we talk about culture, um, mm -hmm. I think that base culture or service culture of how we treat each other and how we treat our guests is a fundamental foundation. And then from a people strategy point of view, 
And then after that, thinking about, okay, what does brand expression look like? And then what does service standard look like on top of that? Sure. So it's it's some interesting layers. Um, and, and, I, and I think what's also very important is the management culture as well. And I always love the example of uh, there's an interview, I think it was Simon Sinek, someone said he was talking to the coffee guy working at the Four Seasons in Vegas. He said, oh, what's it like to work here? And he's like, oh, I have a couple jobs. But what I like about working here is because when my boss comes over, they say, what can I do to make your job easier today? You know what I mean? It's like that sort of empathetic approach as opposed to did you clock in? Did you wipe the, you know what I mean? And so I think that there's there's something very interesting about um, the role of management, you know, with, with what you're trying to do. What constitutes a great manager, you know, whether it's obviously a GM or um, people that are managing housekeeping or things like that? What is the management culture that you think is strong? Well, if I would relate it back to your story, I'd say the great question, um, maybe not a daily question, but a, a, what would personify that for us is a manager or a leader that asks um, their team at the right time, either the beginning or in the middle of their time, is what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life that I can support with and help with and help facilitate? I think that aspect of um, facilitating purpose is key. Um, it's a, it comes back to looking at the whole person when they're doing when they're in that role in that job. That it's not just about the function, but it's about um, who that person is. Other aspects of culture um, that I think are unique to us and that we want to preserve is the family feel. We actually recently asked our associates, like, you know, what do you love about working in Banyan? And number one was growth. Number two was our commitment to sustainability. And number three was the family feel. And breaking that down, I think family feel is not just about the fact that, you know, we're independent and, um, majority owned still by founding family, perhaps that's probably a factor, but I think the family feel is about informality, um, about flat hierarchy. The pain point to that is that, you know, you don't sometimes have the bureaucracy and SOPs to scale efficiently, but the good thing about it is that things can happen quite fast. Um, it's informal. There is, it's always a why not as opposed to a no. Um, and I think that that kind of pioneering spirit around um, doing something, even though we may not have we may not have done it before, or try and then we'll see. Um, loading character and attitude over actual experience; these are qualities that um, even in our stage of. Uh, growing a bit faster now i think we we need to retain and it's also what i hear from people about why they join us i mean in the world of hospitality we are a small player we're kind of medium i suppose um small to medium against the larger groups but when i speak to people about joining bunyan group they always talk about because because we're growing and yet they can be a total individual here they're not just a role 
They're not just in a big box kind of category fulfilling a function. That's what's exciting for them. Sure. And I think what's also interesting about independence, I think the best luxury or the best experiences sometimes come from like what I've been calling like irrational generosity, right? Where it's like this type of stuff that you do that probably wouldn't get past the auditors at a ginormous company or these, these, these subtle kind of intuitive things, um, you know, that might not always be the MBA, you know, decision. And so I love that notion of, of independence is a differentiator when it comes to corporate culture and also decision. Yeah. I think along with, you know, that, that sense of global mobility, exposure to, to different places as part of your horizon, this ability to craft your own path, that's something that's a very strong reason for, for people joining us. Because people really just want, they truly want to make a difference in their work, right? Um, so yeah, providing the space and flexibility for that is important. Awesome. Well, Red, I think we're running low on time, but we've covered some really good ground here. I'm super happy that you could join us. Thank you, Colin. As always, a conversation with you is always uh, intense and enriching. Join us for future Skift Ideas podcasts as we speak with the most creative and forward-thinking innovators in travel. As always, go to skift.com to stay up to date on the latest news and insights across the travel industry.